yourself about an answer to this question. What's so good about the gospel? Just for a short while and then there's some more questions to come. But maybe in order to answer this question, we need to ask a few questions beforehand. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Any answers? Good news. The gospel is good news. What's the news? I want you to think about the gospel in the context of salvation. We're going to have encounter one after this service and uh, you'll get a booklet like this and we start off with salvation. So even if you've done encounter one before, provided you can give five pounds or be prepared to owe five pounds and even if that's a problem, we'll sort something out. We'll have some lunch. We're going to consider salvation. But what's the gospel in the context of salvation? Let me just, before we go there, just say what the gospel is not. The gospel is not love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's a command. It's a command that we follow in response to the gospel. That's what the gospel is not. It's not a command. The gospel is not something that is preached to those who are not saved. Don Carson is a New Testament scholar and has been for decades. So I haven't been through with a concordance to check this. But he says that approximately half of the references to gospel or good news, whatever it may be within your translation, are not to those who are unsaved, but are to the body. So what he says is that the gospel is not something which tips us into the kingdom and then we carry on with salvation and discipleship. He says the gospel is something that is for those of us who are saved, and I look around and I see people who are saved. It's for us as much as it is for those who are not yet saved. Don Carson also says that the gospel is not the teachings of Jesus. That's not the gospel. And we'll come to the answer in a few moments. We're going to look at a few other scriptures first. How many are there? How many is there? One. There's one gospel. And if we look in our Bibles, or turn on our Bibles, if we have an, a new Bible, it might say something like mine, Matthew. So we think Matthew has a gospel. But if we look at an older Bible, we'll read what? 
we'll read, and then, so we'll get to the New Testament, and then it will say, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to, as written by. There's one gospel. It's not four. There's one. And we have four accounts of that one gospel. Four written accounts of that one gospel which can't be contained within a book but which is revealed to us within this book. So there's one gospel. We're going to look at what it is and what it means for us. And we're going to look mostly at Paul's writings. Not exclusively, but mostly at Paul's writings. And I'm going to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have time, then, or rather let me say this, make time today to read this chapter. Five minutes it will take. A lot of verses if you think about it in, compared, in comparison to other chapters 58. But five minutes of our time to read this one chapter today. Where Paul writes, now brothers, includes all of us. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Dong's going to teach at Encounter One, salvation. And this is the prelude to that. It's the forerunner to that. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. And I'll just read on a couple, just while those words stay on the screen. For Paul writes, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul didn't meet Jesus in the flesh. He met him on the road to Damascus. He received directly from Jesus and he received from those who had received from Jesus. And he says, For what I received, I passed, on to, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he was, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then Paul continues in this chapter to the church in Corinth. And he passed it on to them. And it's passed on to us as well. So the gospel is not salvation. The gospel is that by which we are saved. We're saved by the gospel. And salvation, Dong might well go there this afternoon, is past and present and future. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Free from the penalty of sin. In heaven we'll be free from the presence of sin. And here on earth, the process that we call sanctification, being freed from the power of sin over us. The gospel is the power for that process of salvation. That's why the gospel is important. Because it's the means by which we're saved. So the gospel is a solid rock for stability. We receive it and on it 
we stand. I know that I have been saved. I know that I will be saved. I know that I am being saved because of the power of the gospel. Not because of my decision, but my decision to stand on the gospel means that I have been saved, I will be saved, and I am being saved. So the gospel is a rock for stability. It's a solid rock for stability. I remember the first time I remember my parents, um, our family grew, we had my parents had three children in successive school years and then a gap to a fourth and needed a new vehicle. So we were buying a minibus and we were all excited that we were going to have this nine-seater for our larger family. And we were looking at the outside and somebody from church came back after we'd been to the service and was a bit of a mechanic and he turned in the brochure to the engine. He wasn't interested in the colour scheme he wasn't interested in how fancy it was and cars, minibuses weren't so fancy in the 80s. He was interested in the engine because the engine will power the vehicle. It's the gospel that powers this vehicle of salvation by which we're transported from the kingdom of darkness and to the kingdom of light. It's the gospel that does that. It's like the engine within the vehicle. And Paul continues this theme, you don't need to turn there, but maybe note it down. Ephesians chapter 6, he tells the church in Ephesus about the armor of God. And he says that our feet must be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We put the gospel on our feet. In other words, it moves us. So it's the gospel which can take us into God's presence to receive from God and then take us out of God's presence to then go and give what that which we've received. We put the gospel on our feet because it moves us. It's not static. So we have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we'll come back later at the end, just briefly, to the gospel as a rock. It's a rock on which we stand. Imagine there's a flood, as there was on the 3rd of July. Imagine it wasn't just ankle deep on the ground floor. But imagine there was a flood up to level two. And halfway up the new buildings. What would we need in order to be stable and safe? We would need a rock that's higher than the flood. And that's what the gospel is. No matter what life throws at us, no matter if somebody eggs our windows, no matter if, you know, and in the UK context we think, what does that go on here? And then we go to another context where believers have their heads severed because they're believers. No matter what, the gospel is the rock. What would we do if somebody came in now and said, Deny Jesus or stay. But if you stay, you lose your head. What would we do? The parents of us might think, okay, what's going on in the other room? 
but the gospel or what's going on thousands of miles away the gospel is the strong stable rock on which we move and we stand so Fred when he was here last month was talking about us just being present to God not doing being present but when we have been present with God then we go and we do so the gospel moves us it's on our feet it's not something that's static Romans 1 verse 16 Paul writes this it's again it's Paul he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel why is Paul not ashamed he's not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes so this theme continues in Paul's writing gospel salvation gospel salvation gospel salvation they're not the same thing one enables the other the gospel is the power for everyone who believes and he says first for the Jew and then for the Gentile so not only is the gospel a solid rock for stability it's a strong power for mobility upward mobility not in this case not in the sense of being prosperous on this earth upward mobility taking us from one kingdom the earthly kingdom into the heavenly kingdom preparing us for a heavenly kingdom we're not yet in heaven we're still under the contested reign of Christ he will win it's inevitable it's going to happen but for now that reign is contested by the enemy but that's where we're headed we're headed in terms of the future tense of salvation we're headed to heaven where there will be no presence even of sin we're going upward we're headed that way <clears throat> so first of all we stand on the gospel and then we move and the way in which we move is forward and upward onward and upward onward and upward we don't go back we go onward and we go upward the gospel is a strong power for mobility and that mobility is taking us not upward in the way that the world would see upward upward it's taking us towards god it's taking us towards the wedding for which we're being prepared as the bride in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17 Paul writes this listen Christ did not send me to baptize we love baptisms he says Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with words of human power lest the cross of Christ be emptied sorry not with words of human wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power 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 gospel salvation power the gospel is the power of god unto salvation just one more verse before we look at what actually that means 2 Timothy chapter 1 again it's Paul writing he's not writing to a church this time he's writing to an individual this has relevance for the body and this also has relevance for individuals 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 Paul writes this it the grace given us 
in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus, our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We were singing along these lines earlier. It's powerful enough that it can not just overcome death, but destroy death. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. How do we have life? How do we have eternal life? How do we live forever? It's through the gospel. How do we have salvation? It's through the gospel. If I come here and preach on a Sunday morning and think that my wise words can save anyone, I'm a fool. I might be average on the eloquence scale. I might be average or perhaps a little bit above average on the public speaking scale. It does not matter. Do pastors need to dress well? Yes, so that you don't look at me and think, I don't care. Do we need to learn how to speak and project our voices? Yes, we do. Because there might be a power cut and soon there'll be not just tens or twenties or thirties of us, but as many as this room can hold. Do we need to learn to communicate? Absolutely. But if I think that my wisdom is the means by which people are saved. I'm a fool. We love baptisms, I said that. Paul says, I was not sent to baptize. Baptisms, they're the sign of growth. They're the sign of growth personally within an individual. They're the sign of growth within a congregation. So we do need to note them. But that's not what we're sent to do. We are sent to preach the gospel. Anyone recognize this one? Think footballer? Beckham, okay. Anyone want some? Now, either think, think either scent or sport. So those of you who remember David Beckham as a footballer, think David Beckham as a footballer. Those of you who don't, just think about his scent. If I preach the gospel... With, human, with words of human wisdom, I empty the cross of its power. It's as if I undo, I'm not going to do it, because I'm going to give this away to someone. It's as if I tip out all this scent and then think I can still use it to smell good. It's as if, if that doesn't work for you, or if this add something. It's as if <coughs> David Beckham in his prime is about to pull on the England shirt and put on the captain's armband and I say it's me, David Dean, not David Beckham. And I play instead of David Beckham. It's as if I do that. It's as foolish as that. Can I play football? Yes, I can play football. I used to be able to play football. Could I ever play it? At a semi-professional, let alone a professional standard, no, I could never. And now, I could not. David Beckham in his prime, or David Dean in his 
whatever. It's a no contest. If we think that in sharing the gospel, it's something about me that I can use, it's like throwing it all away and then thinking I can still smell attractively. It's like thinking the person who was, if not the best on the planet in his time, I didn't particularly like him because I didn't particularly like lots of things, but was he the best? Yes, he probably was. He was one of the best. So I knew if I had to stake my life on a penalty, I would choose him and not me. And yet, some of us treat the gospel, okay, the power of God, but actually I'll put my faith in myself to score this penalty. And imagine this. The goalkeeper is better and bigger than any other. So the only way you get past this goalkeeper, and let me not take the football analogy too far because I might lose some of you, is to actually hit it so hard that it goes through him and into the back of the net. And yet I think that this goalkeeper who fills this goal can somehow be overcome by my stronger right foot. I'm a fool. And the devil will block because he will hold on to what he's got. What has he got? Not very much. He's got a limited reign on this earth, but he'll hold on to it as tightly as he can. And he won't let go. You see, what we, Sally and I have seen over decades now, is particularly in the case of women, but also in the case of men, who sense this power of God, the power of the gospel to be saved. And then the enemy, what can I use? And it's usually someone in whom they're romantically interested. What can I use just to hold on to that which I've got? And we allow the devil's limited power to negate the unrivaled power of the gospel of Jesus. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So let me ask this. When have you, when have I last been ashamed of this gospel? I remember going to a midweek club at church for which I needed my Bible. There was an older, cooler lad who'd moved in the street and he was outside and I remember hiding my Bible up my jumper so that he wouldn't see me leaving my house to go to my parents' car with a Bible. I was ashamed of this book which isn't the gospel which, which contains written accounts of that gospel. And I've said before how stealing a note which was quite valuable in those days for my friend was a one-off for me because my dad used a rod. But this time, it wasn't my dad's rod, it was just my mum's recognition. Seeing her, noticing her notice my shame of the gospel, which 
has been as successful as the rod. Money doesn't particularly motivate me anymore. And being ashamed of the gospel is not something. Do I always speak when I'm supposed to speak, when I feel a prompting? No, I don't. But generally speaking, I don't have a problem feeling ashamed of the gospel. I don't have a problem telling those with whom I trained, no, I'm not practicing medicine, I'm leading a church. Because that in itself says something about the power of the gospel. It doesn't matter what human knowledge or wisdom or abilities I may have. Is it as important as preaching the gospel? And all of us, we've been called to lots of things, professions and parenthood, and we will be called in the future as well. But the thing to which we've been called is to preach the gospel and not to be ashamed of it. Not to be ashamed of it. When was I last ashamed of the gospel? When did I last empty the gospel of its power? Paul says, lest I empty the gospel of its power. When did I last do that? By thinking, I need to come up with a clever answer now, rather than praying in Holy Spirit, or asking the person with whom I'm speaking, may I pray for you? Because I don't really have the answers to what you're asking me right now. And don't be condemned if you have very recently emptied the gospel of its power or been ashamed of the gospel. Don't be condemned. Learn that that's something that Paul dealt with and we all either are far along that lesson line or close to the beginning of that lesson line. The gospel is a strong power. Not only is the gospel a strong power, the gospel is a high standard for behavior. Paul writes this in Philippians. So these are all the different churches, most of the different churches to which Paul is writing, and he uses the same theme. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know again that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So those of us who have been saved and are being saved and will be saved, we need to behave in such a way that it's worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're not perfect. God knows we're not perfect. But he calls us to behave in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. The best time to tell anybody that you're saved, and when you lead people to salvation, and we're going to be doing that, we're not involved in that already, Tell people, to tell people, three people usually or more, that same day that they've been saved. Why? Because it encourages them to use their testimony. But it also says from the beginning, I am now a follower of Jesus. Because then the people who hear that, or if you go into a new workplace, tell people as soon as you can, 
And God will usually give an opportunity. We had opportunities with uh, the children have new school teachers this year. And I, I learned later that people know I'm a minister in the church because one of the premises managers, the caretakers, came and asked me when he saw me in the bank. So that's good. I didn't know. But we just ask God for opportunity just to tell the teachers, not that we're here to preach to them, but just so they know where we're coming from. So one of our children was encouraged to do a certain something. And so we said, oh, that's good because she's named after John the Baptist. And he was had that character that the teacher was wanting in this child. And then another teacher, a teacher of another of our children, said something about writing. And, we, and so I said, oh, when I'm writing sermons. It's just God gives opportunity at the beginning of this school term so that we can then hold ourselves to this high standard for behavior. These teachers know that we're Christian. So what does that mean? Do we teach our children to respect authority? Or do we take them on holiday if it's cheaper to miss the last day of term? Do we, do we pray for them? Are we concerned for them? Or do we just see them as people who are going to teach our children and get them from one year to the next so that they can do whatever, whatever, whatever? If you start a new job, tell people soon because those people will help you. And me, I'm going to start teaching again at the medical school and there's something of an imbalance of power there and a history that Sally made reference to somewhat earlier. I have to be careful what I say and how I say it. But tell people as early. You might be in a position where you're able to say it very freely. In terms of colleagues, there's very little that someone can say. What did you do this weekend? I went to church. Oh. People might not say anything, but they'll watch through the rest of the week and the weeks to come. What difference does church make to your life? Do you still sleep around? Do you lie? Do you gossip? Or, when that's going on in the workplace, do I hold myself? Do I conduct myself in a manner that's worthy? The gospel, it's not purely theological. Theology always has an impact on our lives. It's the power for salvation. It's the power by which we're able to live to this high standard. And that's what grace is. That's another one of Paul's themes. Not got time to go into it today. Grace means that we can meet the standard that God sets. We can't meet our own standards. We all would acknowledge that. If we're maybe six or seven, we might think, even as a teenager, oh, I can meet my standards and other people's, I'll be fine. But we all know that we can't meet our own standards. But grace says, here's the power to meet the higher standard that God sets for us. Grace isn't a lowering of the bar. Grace is a raising of the bar. There's two more things about the gospel in terms of how we preach it. And look again at the gospel each time it's mentioned in scripture. It's preached. The dissemination of the gospel is achieved primarily 
through preaching. Again, something Don Carson said. If I let my life do the talking, then I'm not bearing testimony to Jesus or his gospel. I'm just bearing testimony to my kindness. One of our neighbors with whom, who calls us to pray for her, who's beginning to speak about God in terms of the frame of reference for her decision-making, noticed how well our children relate to each other. Do they do it all the time? No, and now she babysits for us, so she sometimes sees what they're like with each other. But that's what she noticed. And so that's what she said to Sally. Your children relate well to each other. Now, Sally could have kept quiet. I'm a good parent. Or she could do what she did, which was choose to say it's because of God. That's why they relate to one another in that way. So from the outset, it's letting somebody know with words that the gospel is the power that enables us to do this. I know that for children, and maybe for some of you, having a video with flashing lights would be more appealing than listening to me. And we sometimes use videos and we teach through videos and we're going to do that encounter one this afternoon. We're going to use video clips. But more than video clips, we're going to use people speaking, preaching the gospel. That's the power of God. Does it make sense in terms of the media that we have available? No, it doesn't. But is it still the power of God? That's still the power of God. So Paul says, I preached the gospel to you. Hold firmly to the word I preached to you. It's preaching is compulsory. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. Just going to read the second part of verse 12 and the second part of verse 16. He says this. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And in verse 16, he says, Woe to me if I do not preach. Woe to me if I do not preach. What have I put up with so that the gospel has not been held back? What have we put up with so that the gospel has not been held back. Am I, be prepared, am I prepared to be slandered so that the gospel is not put back? Am I prepared to be gossiped about so that the gospel is not put back? Am I prepared to be betrayed by a friend so that the gospel is not held back? Paul says, we put up with anything. Am I prepared to put up with loneliness so that the gospel is not held back? Am I prepared to put up with poverty? I might want to do a certain thing which pays a certain salary, and God might say, preach the gospel, don't worry if you're poor. 
am I prepared to put up with that? And sustain a family. What am I prepared to give up or to put up with for the sake of the gospel? 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2. Paul writes this. He says, We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. When last did I face opposition for my preaching of the gospel? And if I have to think for a while, then I'm perhaps not preaching it. Because the gospel will always be opposed. Football would be easy if there was no other team. Some of us might still miss the penalty. But it would be easy. I could roll it into the goal. We're opposed, and that's why it's hard. If I have to dredge, when was I last opposed? then I'm not preaching the gospel because the gospel will always be opposed. Jesus said, I was hated and you'll be hated. So if we're not hated, which is a strong word, then we're not preaching it. So Sally said earlier, we went to Freshers' Fair and we were the only, as far as I can see, the only overtly Christian or in any way Christian stand that could be in that room. And the opposition we faced came from within the body. Christians telling us not to be there. We were the only ones who had a right, having paid, to be there in that place. And the opposition came from within the body. Paul says, We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Will I tell the gospel even if it means my chances of promotion are decreased? Or will I rather think I need the platform, God needs me to have the platform, I'll keep quiet. That's foolishness. God does not need my platform for the gospel to be preached. If I no longer am able to fulfill a certain role because people think I'm too radical. Will the gospel be hindered? Am I saying we disregard authority? Never. Because all authority is God-appointed. But it's God-appointed. So when a human authority tells me that I do something against God's authority, then which one trumps the other? The reason that we respect human authority is because because of God's authority. Strong opposition. I've never really faced strong opposition in my life. I've, I've had opposition all through my life, at least since I started to be open about sharing the gospel. People calling meetings and discipline and wanting disciplinary procedures. Why? Because I preach the gospel. Because he evangelizes. If we haven't faced opposition then we're not preaching. Fred and I, when he was here, went to meet someone who's a friend of my family's and he told us 
how when he and his wife leave the country, which they do often, sometimes they've been prevented from leaving, they make their staff, their COO, sign to say, if I'm kidnapped, if we're kidnapped, you will not pay a ransom. That's strong opposition. Strong opposition would be if we thought somebody coming in to terrorize our children or us is a real possibility. And for some Christians, it is. We in this nation haven't really faced strong opposition. But if we don't face any opposition, then I'm not sure we're preaching the gospel. It's compulsory to preach. The preaching of the gospel is compulsory. Paul's compelled to do it. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'll put up with anything. I'll face strong opposition in order to preach this gospel. It's a privilege to which we're called. It's a responsibility we have. We shouldn't take it lightly. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Not just me. All of us preach the gospel. Bear witness Speak about that which God is doing in my life. I'm trusting that there are opportunities this week where people will ask you, what did you do this weekend? Maybe there's someone you don't particularly get on with, but you're in a room with them and they ask you the question. Or that something happens on which you can comment so that we have that opportunity just to loosen our tongues. If we don't speak, others will speak. Others will take the space. The space that we had was where in the past we have tapped a well of salvation. It's not surprising to me that this week the opposition came from us returning to that place to preach the gospel in that place. Where will the enemy guard? Where does the dragon position himself, herself? Where the treasure is. If there's some nation to which you think you can't go or some person to which you think they're not ready for the gospel, I'll rather go here. Then it may be because the treasure's there. The preaching of the gospel is compulsory and the preaching of the gospel is universal. So I think every scripture has been written by Paul, but let me just read this one written by John in Revelation chapter 14. John says, verse 6, Revelation 14, he's a different kind of writer. He says, I saw another angel flying in midair, picture it, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim. The gospel will always be proclaimed, preached. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. This gospel is for everyone. It's good news for everyone. Not just for Christians, not just for those who've been brought up with it, not just for those who don't have another faith. This gospel is eternal and it's good news on earth to every nation, every tribe, 
every language and people. That's why our vision, it's outside, is to reach nations and generations. Because we know that this gospel is God's power for the salvation of all. Not just for those who have a frame of reference. It might be easier or not to share this gospel with those who have a frame of reference. We're called to share this gospel. Its preaching is universal. The gospel is a solid rock for stability. If we understand a new or some more the power of this gospel, we'll know that it's firm and on which we will stand. We know that whatever flood may come, this gospel will remain. We'll know what that whatever the opposition the enemy might send, we will stand on this gospel. So stand, please, as we close. Paul writes, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Allow me to share by way of encouragement. You may have preached the gospel with stuttering words and it didn't seem very powerful. But God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and we in our weakness can use specifically very specifically the tongues that we have the vocal cords our mouths because if we don't Even our lives can be good, but someone else will take the credit. Another voice will speak. They're good because of their parenting. They're good because of the nation that they're from. They're good because of the community in which they were raised. We know that we're not good. We know that anything that's good within us comes from God and not from us. So be encouraged to go back to the person, to pray for the person, and trust God to move you and or to move them so that you're able once more, even if you felt that your previous attempt was unsuccessful. Family members who are not saved.
sense in this season God will give us opportunities to go to family members not just vertically to you know, parents and grandparents or children or grandchildren but wider to extend our influence to siblings and siblings-in-law to nieces and nephews to aunties and uncles and speak we might never have spoken to them before or we may have spoken and it didn't seem to have much positive effect let's speak I sense God sending some of us to aunts and uncles who we don't know when we'll see again or how long they may live speak to them their children perhaps don't believe and the niece or the nephew that you are can be the surrogate son or daughter who God uses to speak life into that branch of the family. If you want God to loose your tongue, then just use your tongue now, either pray in Holy Spirit or just begin to speak the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, whatever it is, just begin as I pray, to use your tongue. God, I thank you that you can use the most stuttering stammerer that you gave Moses Aaron to be his mouthpiece and God for some of us you'll bring someone alongside of us who can speak in a way that we can't but for others you'll just say encourage with your lisp with your funny accents with your limited even knowledge of the language to speak to preach this gospel and God I thank you that families will be changed that workplaces will be changed because we speak life God, I thank you that this gospel has power to bring light, life and immortality to light. That this life and immortality which has been hidden for so long, which has been silent, which has not been spoken over, will be brought to light. That as we speak, people will see. They'll see not only our lives, but they'll see the lives of other Christians that they have known. God, I ask even that you encourage us by opposition, that you show us that we are preaching. Encourage us when we do because of the opposition that we face. But God, I thank you that you will give us your heart for those, that we will always wear on our feet the gospel of peace, that we'll be ready to share with family members who don't want to hear, but ready just to wait for that break in the conversation or that set-up line where we know, God, you're calling us to preach. Maybe just for a few seconds, but to speak the powerful, powerful gospel. God, I thank you for saving us. Thank you for this gospel that saves us. Thank you for an increasing knowledge, an increasing understanding, an increasing outworking of our salvation. That it won't be something that happened in the past but it will be something present for us 
and it will it won't only be the past god that we'll be able to look back back even for those of us that don't know the day god i thank you we can look back and know that you've saved us that we'll work it out even when we're fearful god even when we tremble even when we think we don't have the words even when we think god you're calling the wrong person and should you not rather take them thank you that we will speak God, I thank you that you're preparing us for when we will be the bride of Christ, ready on the wedding day. God, I thank you that you'll use children and their natural way of sharing who they are to encourage us, those of us who are parents and even those of us who are not, that we'll not be held back by what people think of us. But God, that we will fear you, that we will worship you, that we'll fear you who is the judge, that we'll worship you who made, that we'll not be afraid to be ridiculed because we believe in a God who creates and who recreates. our lips you want to anoint our feet you want to anoint there's oil at the front if you want your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace then just come and do it with a dab on the sole of your shoe or whatever it may be or put it on your finger for you to put on your lips let's not hold back said something to one of the children yesterday. A plaque was, in, was unveiled in Tooting of the youngest soldier. He was 12. The youngest known British soldier to fight in World War I. And his son and grandson and great-grandson were there. And I said, you know, maybe one of you will have a plaque unveiled one day. They said, well, Jesus might have come back then. Let's not think we've got generations to go. Let's take the opportunities that we have. Fred has spoken before of a window of opportunity, specifically for Europe, a window of opportunity. Let's use it. Let's speak it. Let's worship God in private and in public. Let's preach to the ones and to the tens and I believe God will give us opportunity to preach to more than the tens to the hundreds and the thousands let's use the opportunities that God gives us if you want anointing then please just step forward if you have prayer you want prayer for healing then please also step forward for that